welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonia. We're back this week finishing the first book of the Skinjacker trilogy, Everlost, by Neil Schusterman. And I'm super excited to discuss this reading and see how Charles felt about it and just about everything in general that we've gotten so far. I love the series so much. Well, we'll get into it and we'll see what I'll say at the end, I guess. As we tell you every week, we are a book club podcast with the Nerd Party Network which means that we read and reread books from our adolescence and we share them with each other. So this series was suggested by Asia, who had read them before, and I'm reading them for the first time, which means I'm in charge of providing a brief plot summary of the reading. Yeah, so let's go ahead and dive into the summary. (laughs) Enthusiasm right there. So Allie is working on the ship trying to stall the McGill so she can free her friends, which isn't going that well. Eventually she gets thrown into his dungeon as well for taking too long, and now he takes his 1,000 souls to Atlantic City to reclaim his reward and become alive again. Plot twist, that doesn't work. He's restored to being Mary's brother Mikey. He and Allie are now off on an adventure. Vary becomes, well, I guess it's Vary. No, it's Vary. Becomes the new McGill, and Nick figures out how to go to the final destination. So he frees a bunch of Mary's kids, and now he and Mary are at odds trying to free or control the afterlights. So for me, I just want to say I really liked the ending. I think that what was so good about the ending of this book is that I can, I'm excited to read the next book, but I don't feel like I have to which is a really hard balance to hit, if you know what I mean, where it's a satisfying ending that, like, if for some reason I couldn't read the next book, I wouldn't be like, well, the story's incomplete. I know where the next book is going to go somewhat, but I also feel like there's room for more. But I also feel like we really wrapped up enough that this is a good button. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's literally the opposite of Divergent. (laughs) But... Um, That's our just our poster child for bad writing. For bad series. For bad endings. But as far as my impression, I obviously enjoyed it very much. I am surprisingly remembering a lot about the story as we're going through this. I believe I've only read the series one time, like I said, in middle school. So that was like a decade ago. But I definitely remembered a lot of things. And yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm very excited to read the next book because I do think as the story goes along, I think I'm going to remember less and less because I feel like I re- I, be- I mainly remember just like the basic world building, which so a lot of that was obviously in this first book. So yeah, I enjoyed it and I'm mainly just excited to hear what Charles has to say and like what he thinks of certain things, you know, coming from that first timer perspective. Well, we'll see. So... Diving in, the McGill is on a pirate ship, which was my guess or theory last week. So I felt very vindicated in that I was like, I bet he's on a resurrected pirate ship. And then he was. Yes. And I know for me, I know that they like explained this, 
with the ship, but like it still like doesn't really fully make sense to me how the ship is able to float on living water because it's a dead ship. They said that all things float on. They said that all boats float on living water, even if it's dead. Or, or maybe it was because it's a. It died in the Bermuda Triangle. I have no idea. It didn't. Maybe because it like died in the ocean. I was just saying that like that was the. Out of the stuff that we've been presented with so far with the world building, to me, that was the only thing that I felt was like a little bit like he just adjusted it to like make it work. But like it doesn't really make sense when you think of like the rules that have been explained. I guess. But I didn't know if I like missed something when I was reading it. The rules haven't like been great so far for me. Like the whole like sunspots, like. It's yeah, I, I it didn't bother me. I think there he said something in the book of why, and I was like, okay, that's enough explanation for me. Yeah, it worked for me, but he did say something. But it was it definitely was like he needed an exception to the rule for the boat to float. Wow, I'm just making all these rhymes, but he did <laughs> clearly have thought about it because it was in there. It just didn't strike my intention that importantly. Hmm. Uh, so Allie is able to get onto this. So basically she takes control of the Staten Island Ferry's captain. She gets inside him so she can sense his feelings. She can even control him. Like she can make him say and do things. And I was like, well, this has to be the skin jacking, right? Yes. Or as Allie likes to call it, body surfing. Well, I once again feel vindicated because that was my theory last reading was that it's probably like possessing a living person, and I was correct. Which, yeah, when the quote that I mentioned last episode that I didn't want to bring up because we technically hadn't, it hadn't been revealed what skinjacking was, but Neil had basically explained that, like, he liked the term skinjacking because it's, like, a carjacking or hijacking, but with, like, the literal, like, possessing of bodies. So, yeah, that's basically why it's called the Skinjacker Trilogy because, as you can see, Allie does it a couple times in this book, and, like, it's going to continue to be a part of the story. Well, I just want to say that I'm even more correct, because I said skinjacking sounds like skin hijacking. Yep. Am I? I I feel like that TikTok sound, am I better than everyone? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Okay, well, my theories are coming true. So this, anyway, back to the story. Back to the drama. Am I the drama? I don't think I'm the drama. (laughs) Actually, we're talking about the villain. So the one where it's, am I the villain? I don't think I'm the villain. (laughs) Sorry. All those TikTok sounds are the same. So this starts the relationship between Allie and the Miguel. Because she basically lies to him. She's like, I'll teach you how to skin jack. Even though we know it's not a learnable skill. Like, you have to have it or not. You can improve it or not, but if you have it, but, you know, having the natural power to or not is different. And they spend a lot of time together, and it seems to actually be softening him. Like, he's growing to like her. And, for example, like, he's much more vulnerable with her, and he tells her that he actually sunk all the way down to the Earth's core, which, as we've discussed, happens to afterlights if they don't, if they're not careful or they you know, just aren't aware or they spend too much in living time and not keep moving. 
on de- in dead spaces, they will sink to the core of the earth and have to wait there until the world ends. And the McGill actually sunk all the way down and then he clawed his way up again, which no one else has done as far as we know. It's, that's why he's all messed up. Yes, because that's basically what turned him into the monster that he is now because he said, like, it was easier for him to, like, have the willpower to climb back to the surface if he imagined himself as, like, a monster and having all these extra things on him and, like, super gross. So it's kind of sad, actually, because all the McGill wants, basically, we find out, is, like, to be alive again. So it definitely makes him a more, like, relatable villain. He's a villain with a human side. Yes. And we haven't gotten to, but we'll now get into Nick and Leaf, who, where we left them. And the last reading was they had been put in the barrels full of pickle juice. And when we check back in with them, we find out that afterlights actually do really well in confinement or they do really badly which I think is some pretty clever world building because Nick gets really wise and like kind of grows a sense of like self-confidence in himself and like kind of finds like just more of a fire within himself while he's, you know, just pickling in the barrel. And Leaf comes basically to peace with like everything. Like he just has like reached enlightenment is basically the best way I would say to describe it. And then another Absolutely, ploy that I would we find... He, he sounded exactly like Buddha. Yeah, he like, basically he is like, like, I've reached enlightenment. Like, he's meditated for long enough that, like, he's fine. Like, he's just good. But we also get a third unnamed afterlight who is also pulled out, pulled out of one of the barrels. And he's gone absolutely insane. And he just starts screaming nonstop. Like, is just screaming bloody murder. Like, forever. And... Like Nick says, since they don't technically have to breathe, like, he never has to stop screaming. So I can't even imagine that. Yeah, I like the detail. Like, I thought that there was something, because afterlights, like humans, some people gain so much from solitude and some people can't handle it at all. I'm not saying I'm advocating for solitary confinement because that's a completely different thing. But, like, well-regulated solitude... <laughs> It, you know, I thought that was a nice detail. And you know, since we're on a world building topic, let's talk about those fortune cookies because they're important. All fortune cookies apparently cross over and all fortunes are real in Everlost. And Mary hates them, which is obviously just because Mary can't control them. Like anything she can't control, she says is the devil's spawn. <laughs> Meanwhile, the McGill, he's, like, going through, like, five a day because he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to find out what the real world, what the answers are. And, yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to add on that? The fortune cookies are important. I can't remember if they, like, really play into, like, later in the story. But, I mean, I'm sure they do. I just personally don't remember. But. Yeah, it is very interesting, like, a concept of, like, all the fortunes come true. But, like, we don't know. But, like, with all fortunes. But, yeah, that's... If you know anything about fortune in fiction, or actually even in reality, you don't always know how it's going to come true. Yeah, you don't know. It's... Yeah, you don't know what the context exactly is going to be. 
So back to, you know, on the Sulphur Queen, the ship, Allie eventually does get caught by the McGill that he figures out that she's lying to him because they actually go back and get the haunter who they had also trapped in the barrel. And he explains to the McGill that, no, like skinjacking can't be taught. Like Charles already said, it's something you're either you have or you don't. So Allie gets hung up. She gets chimed as the a thousandth soul. And now the McGill is going to actually follow Allie's fake fortune. So she found a typewriter down in like one of his treasure rooms and taped up a fake fortune and put in one of the cookies that he needs to go to Atlantic City to like find victory and, you know, be resurrected. Because I don't know if we said the like fortune that he's been holding on to. Yeah, we haven't. You can talk about it. Is so the fortune that the McGill, I guess, is like held on to for like 20, 30 years or whatever, is that like a thousand cowardly souls is worth like one brave man's soul, something like that. And so basically the McGill has been collecting all these afterlights and chiming them in like his holding cells or whatever, because he thinks that he is going to be able to trade a thousand of these cowardly afterlights so that he can come back to life. Because again, like I said, we've basically been finding out that the McGill just wants to be alive again. He wants to be a part of the living, a human again, not an ever lost. So that is, and Allie's fake fortune tells him that he needs to go to Atlantic City to do this, which it's also revealed by Pinhead, which is the McGill's like right-hand man, that the only time the McGill has ever been defeated was in Atlantic City. There's two dead peers there, and there's like, there was a gang there that basically they defeated the McGill and they hung the McGill like up on a Ferris wheel and he like just went up and down for like four years until Pinhead, who used to be in that gang, actually felt sorry for him and cut him down and that's like how he ended up like doing this thing. So Allie wants them to go there because she hopes that they'll be able to help her defeat the McGill so that she can ultimately save her friends. Yeah. So that's part of her plan. And part of it also involves Nick, who's gotten out, and he and his new lover, Mary, well, she says she's in love with him. They also meet them in Atlantic City. And Mary then, I wrote recognize, but that's not right. She knows that the McGill is actually her brother, Mikey, and so she reveals his identity and has a photo of him and turns him back into her brother. Yes, and that's because the McGill recognizes Mary when she comes up. I think is what yes. um, you meant when you wrote recognized. Which this, I actually remembered like right before, like I was getting to the part where he says like Mary, and then I immediately like, it clicked to my mind. I was like, oh my God, that's her brother. Because I even thought about how, obviously in the last reading, we talked about how Mary described how she died with her brother and how when they went home, her brother sunk to the center of the earth. The McGill told us that he was, came from the center of the earth, but didn't tell us how he sank to the center of the earth. And also, I mean, in the back of my head during the whole reading, I was like, I'm pretty sure Mary and the McGill are like connected in some way, but I couldn't remember what it was. So I did remember like right before the reveal, but did you expect this at all, Charles? Like, did they were even connected in any way? 
So I didn't. I didn't. I want to. I would like to say I did, but I don't think I did. But I think it was so well done because it makes perfect sense that these two people who have been on op, who've been in Everlost for so long and therefore have such an understanding of the parameters of Everlost would be on opposite sides of it. And it doesn't feel like it's out of nowhere because I can see that they would be connected. Like the letter M, I mean, that's all you need to connect the characters is that like one, both of them have actual names, Mikey and Megan that they've forgotten. And now they're the McGill and Mary, which are close, but not the same. And it's not uncommon for siblings to have letters, names that start with the first letter, the same first letter. Mm-hmm. But like, I didn't, while I was reading it, I didn't think that they were any more connected than any other two characters, but I totally believe it. So I think that, you know, I think it was really well done because it was unexpected, but not, it didn't feel like we went to Pluto. I know I said that a couple episodes ago when I was talking about Divergent, like things coming out of nowhere. Yeah. But like. Just jump somewhere else. We didn't jump somewhere else. It wasn't like. And it also didn't, like, it would have been, you know what? Here's an example. If Mary, if the McGill had been Mary's twin sister. <laughs> that would have been probably Where you're random. like, like, it would have been like, we tried to connect the dots, but it, we had no reason to think that there was a twin sister involved. And so where did that come from? You know? Yeah. Whereas this, it was introduced, like, if you, like, again, it's the idea of now when you look back at it, knowing that you're like, oh, like this point to that. And that makes sense. Like their stories align. So yeah, it does yeah. make sense, but, but still very unexpected. Yeah. Well, Allie then skin jacks away because basically, so the McGill is outed. Everything, everyone's like, okay, bye. And Allie skin jacks away. And then McGill goes with her. First he's chasing her, but then they decide they're going to work together. They were going to fight, but they decide that they're going to work really hard to redeem Mikey because they're like, well, something has to come after Everlost and it's either good or bad. And the McGill's like, it's probably bad for me. And she's like, well, let's try to fix that. So they're going to work together to fix that, which I think that's a spinoff I want. Realistically, I'm sure it's going to be in the next uh, book, but I'm like, that's the spinoff series I want. <laughs> Allie and Mikey taking on Everlost, doing good deeds, redeeming themselves. Doing good deeds. Yeah, that's what I want. Well, I'm sure we'll get plenty of them together in the next book. And that basically starts us on the journey to wrap up the whole plot because Leaf, who, like we said, he's kind of reached an eternal peace in the barrel is ready for his ending. And this is where we get back to coins being important, which I will ask Charles if he saw this coming at all, but I knew this was going to happen. So we talked about at the very beginning when they meet Mary at the Twin Towers that every time like the new green souls come into her care, she she doesn't force them, but she highly encourages them and suggests them to throw away their coins into the fountain to make a wish and we also then get that the mcgill confiscates all of the afterlights that he captures he confiscates their coins and keeps them in a bucket 
And Nick finds this bucket, like, after the McGill has, like, run away and everything. Or Leaf, I'm sorry. Leaf finds the bucket and gives it to Mary. And Mary gives it to Nick to watch over it. And, like, she wants to keep that bucket to herself because, like, oh, it's perfect. Like, all the kids will, like, be able to make a wish with it at the fountain. But Nick is already, like, starting to, like, connect the dots that, like, there's... He's like, it's interesting that, you know, Mary has all these coins. The McGill has all these coins. Like, there must be something else going on with it. And he ends up figuring out that everyone brings a coin with them into Everloss, which I kind of established in the last reading. And so they must obviously be important. And sure enough, the coins are essentially the Afterlight's payment to get where they're going. Which was so clever. I had no idea. You're... You were asking me. I did not expect that. But again, I think it makes sense. Like a coin, like a token, like a subway ride. I thought it was cute, like super cute and age appropriate. Like this is for a younger reader. It's not, you know, not saying that I can't remember if I've read a book like that. But like, you know, there are books where like, you know, you have to kill someone else to go to the next level or whatever it is. But... (laughs) I thought this was clever and appropriate and introduced early enough that every character, everyone gets a coin when they enter Everlost, even if you didn't have a coin before. So everyone has to have one. Why does everyone need one? Because it's your your train ticket to the next station. And it's really clever. Also the way that Nick pieces it together where he's like, hmm, the McGill has a bunch. Hmm, Mary has a bunch. Hmm. Mary doesn't want the kids to get these ones either. And the, like, you know. And he also thinks of, like, the historical aspect of, like, he says, like, you know, in history they would, like, place coins over, like, dead people's eyes because it was believed that, like, you would need payment to, like, cross the river to, like, go to heaven or, you know. Which series did we read where there were coins in death? Percy Jackson. We brought read one on the throwback paperback before. Percy Jackson. My favorite series we've read. Is it not Percy Jackson? His Dark Materials. His Dark Materials in The Golden Compass. In the first book, Lyra and Roger go down into the crypt and they mix up the coins of the dead scholars. The coins have their demons drawn on them and they swap them around and then oh Lyra gets that haunted by the like demons in her dreams. Hundred years ago, but Percy Jackson, they also talk about the coins and like the river, river sticks. Oh yeah, it's um pretty you know. Anyway, yes, it's very clever. Nick figures it out. I'm very proud of him. And so, Leaf touches a coin. It feels warm, and he vanishes into whatever comes next after Ever Lost. And so Nick realizes that if you're ready. Your coin feels hot and you go. And if you're not, your coin feels cold and you've got to emotionally be ready for the next step. And he and Mary are definitely are not ready. And I also thought it was sweet that when Leaf gets the coin, he remembers his name. His name was Travis. I just thought that was sweet. I thought it was sweet too. So, but worst of all... With this information, we, you know, discover that, you know, Mary knew all about the coins and kept it to herself because she ultimately wants to trap kids in Everlost. And I think this is because she's afraid of what's waiting for her, like, 
in the light, like, wherever she's going, because she's obviously a bad person. She's keeping all these, she's prevented all of these afterlights from going to the next step. Like, without their consent, without them knowing, like, keeping them in the dark. Like, a literal Yeah, and that's the thing that, like, yeah, she could be like, this is a safe place for you to prepare for what's next after Everlost, but that's not how she approaches it at all. No, like, she sees Everlost as the end all, be all. They were sent there for a reason and they should exist there forever. When, like I had said, because you can only do so much in Everlost and so many people get caught in their routines, their niches, and they're just doing the same thing over and over again. Like to me, it doesn't make sense that that would be the end of it. Like there has to be somewhere else you go. Absolutely. Well, Nick does free up all of her children, but Mary still thinks she's right. So that's how this book actually finishes. She is now going around with her airship, and this made me gave me mad Mrs. Coulter vibes. Like, oh yeah, pretty lady trying to trick little kids, bring them with so that she can control them and run experiments on them in her airship. I was like, oh, Mrs. Coulter, get out of my book, but. She's going to go around and start capturing more kids. And now she's calling Nick the Chocolate Ogre. And she's basically saying he comes and snatches kids. And that's how it ends, which I thought amazing ending. Yeah, I think the ending was great. Like you said, it's complete. Like we get a nice conclusion to the story of Everlost, but still like leaving you wanting more. Yes, absolutely. Because you can see that what the next book is going to be about. You're going to have Allie and Mikey being good. You're going to have Nick trying to heal and release Afterlights. And you're going to have Mary trying to control Afterlights. But you don't need to read the next book necessarily. Like, you know that they're going to do all those things without reading the next book. So I really was here for it. Just to wrap up all other plot lines that I think will carry into the Wait, next I, book. Wait, can I pause just a second? I have a question. Because your whole concept of you don't need to read the next book, do you, or did you do that a lot as a kid? Like you would start a series and not finish it? No. I like to finish that. Like I would like to finish things. I'm just trying to, like, no, no, no. I generally, I would only not read a book, the next book, if I thought those books were bad. Yeah, that that's how I also feel. So I think that's interesting. Just that you said that, you're like, you don't need to read the next book. Whereas I feel like, I don't know, for me, a good series would be that, like, you'd want to read the next book. Like it, that's what yes, I'm saying. I to want to read ending. the next book. But I'm saying that I don't want, especially the first book in a series, I don't want the first book in a series to leave you feeling incomplete. Like... I but want like, the it first is book incomplete a... because it's not the whole story. Like, I feel like in series, like, the whole story is the series. Like, it's basically broken up into parts. Like, yes, each book has an introduction, climax to conclusion. That's what, that's like, what I mean. I just need our three-part structure. And I, but I don't need that as much from middle, books in the middle of a series because I've been, I've committed, I've hooked on to the characters. Maybe this is but a hot take. the first book, you'd rather it, like, stand alone. Yeah, I just want the first book to feel like a complete Do you feel thought. like any of the books that we've read haven't done that besides Divergent? No, I think that Divergent would be the one that I felt that way on. 
Where? So, conclusion, Divergent has made you skeptical of series because it's that terrible. Because that's all I was just saying. Like, I feel like that's never been an issue for me, like, thinking, like, when I'm reading a series, thinking, oh, my God, like, this book isn't going to be, like, finished. But I... But I'm saying that I don't necessarily need that in other books. Like, when you get to Percy Jackson, like, books three and four, I don't need those to feel as formal or organized. No, 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 no. I, I'm saying the first yes. book's only yes. in a series. But I'm saying, like, on the, like, however many series we've covered, you've never felt that way. Like, the first book didn't finish well, right? What have we covered? Percy Jackson, first book finishes fine. Dark Materials, first book finishes fine. Um. Uh... Nick, Nicholas Flamel. Mm. Honestly, first book doesn't finish that great. I couldn't even tell you what was in the first book, so I'm glad you remember because I sure don't. That's when they go to Paris and you're like, guess we're in Paris now. And, and then, that series devolves into chaos. Well, His Dark <laughs> Materials, didn't you not read the, the second and third book? No, I had. Or was I that just hadn't City read them as many Ember. times I'd read the first book. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just being, maybe I'm I'm overthinking it, but I, right now, because I, def, I definitely like to read the whole series. If the whole series is available to me, I think also part of it is that I want to make sure that, like, if someone were reading these as they were coming out, if the first book had just come out, that they would feel happy with that, you know? I, from my experience, like reading a series as it's coming out, like you're never satisfied because you just want more and more. Like you're just waiting. That, that's why I don't like to read things that aren't finished. It's just say, it's the same thing like watching a show. It's way more fun to watch it when it's all over because you don't have to wait. You don't forget what happened. You don't have to go back and review. I guess. I guess. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not articulating what I mean. Maybe I'm not articulating. I know what you mean, but I think that it's more interesting because I think that, like, if we wouldn't have read Divergent, where that was such an issue, I feel like you wouldn't have felt like you had to, like, check in on that. that. Yeah, like, focus on that because that would just be, you know, a given that a book that's written would have an ending. Like, (laughs) but apparently Divergent just didn't. And it still got published and it did great, but it didn't have an ending. That. You know, that's why we just can never get away from it. Yeah. And, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's that. I don't know. That's all. I just think that's interesting. That was all. But we can wrap up this well, book, Ever Lost. Last character plot that I think might carry in Vary. No, Vary. Stradivarius. Stradivarius. Vary. I thought Her- you said. It was very. You said it was very in the last episode. Very like Mary, because you said it was Stradivarius. That's what you said in the last episode. Is it Stradivarius? Yes, it's Stradivarius. I'm trying to not say it like a snob. It's a Stradivarius. It's very like Mary. Well, it doesn't even matter because he takes on a new name. You're right. He takes on the name. He becomes the new McGill, which could be important down the line. I think it will be, given the way Neil Schusterman has paid attention to detail in this book. I feel like it will. They're not going to just drop off that plot line. <laughs> yeah, I also think, again, the creepy little doll vibes that Very the new McGill, <laughs> is. I feel like he's definitely going to come back with a vengeance because Mary literally forgot him. She forgot about him and left him behind. 
Yeah. So, anything else before we wrap up? I think that's it. My only question is, how are you enjoying the series so far? Because I know in the last episode, you said how you weren't really that interested in, like, the world, but you liked the characters a lot, where I said, I think why I really enjoyed this series was because I really do like the world in this and, like, the world building in general. No, I'm still... I still stand by how I feel. I actually don't care about the world at all. <laughs> I'm, like, not that interested in it. But I'm really, really digging the characters. I'm, like, I really liked the Allie McGill dynamic. I liked, I'm looking forward to them and their adventure spinoff in the next book. I really liked the Mary-Nick fight. I thought that was awesome. And, like, when they were, like, chasing each other to the end and... Like, the fact that they're now going to be nemeses, like, exes can't be friends. Like, I'm, you know, I'm really liking the interpersonal stuff. I don't really care about the, like, ever after lighty stuff of it. Okay. But I'm enjoying it. (laughs) As long as you're enjoying it, I'll take it. I mean, I definitely feel like it's... It's a little younger, but that's not a big deal. Like, I don't mind I that. Mean, We've read you things that it, like, are the younger. The main characters are, like, in their teens, and, like, a lot of the other, like, kids, like, the very, like, they're, like, 10 and under. So, yeah, I definitely say this is for a younger audience from, like, compared to some of the other books we've read. Also, like, since they are, yeah. like, ghosts. Which I don't mind. I don't mind that at all. I'm just saying, I just, you know, remarking on it since that's something that we do track in all of the no, series. No, yeah. Also, there is, like, less, like, there's not, like, violence. Like, there was a lot of violence in Inkar when we just read. Like, not necessarily, like, blatantly, but, like, also, like, it was much scarier. Whereas this, I feel like, yeah, there was warfare. Yeah, and we're not really gonna death get curses it's gonna and be, resurrection. It's gonna be more of a childish version of like war. Like it's not gonna be. I mean, also they can't really be violent when they're all already dead. Yeah. Well, I'm enjoying it. I just, you know, I'm 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 not passionate about the i the topic at all. But I am enjoying the characters, and I think it's well written. Insofar as I don't think it's random, so. No complaints. Like, if I was reading this not for the podcast, I would still finish the series. Also, because it takes me, like, a day to read this book. So, you know. Yeah, they are very short and sweet, which is the best part about reading the, like, younger books. (laughs) Yeah. But with that, we are going to go ahead and start the second book next week, which is called Ever Wild. And we'll be reading chapters 1 through 19. So if you're going to read along with us, read up to there. And if you want to talk about it, let us know. Are you team character or team world in this series? If you have predictions or theories or, like I said, you want to talk to us about it, remember you can stay in touch with us regarding any of that on the Nerd Party website. You just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and you select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there or get in touch with the network on Twitter at Door Nerd Party or Instagram at the Nerd Party or Facebook.com slash the Nerd Party. And to find me and my cat who just came in, and now is purring, so I'm sorry if you hear her. You can find us on Instagram at seashells. And I'm at asia.bonia on Instagram and TikTok. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And, of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. 
yeah, have a good one. Hit that subscribe button and we will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.